Hello and welcome to another edition of Jump On Movies. I am your host, Ryan Jump, and I have my friend Andrew joining me. Say hello, Andrew. Hello there. Hello there. Right, so continuing the tradition of that famous line from Obi-Wan, um, here we are again. So um, this is podcast number 16. Um and so we are going to talk about the wonderful movie that exists, which is Rogue One. Now, this movie definitely uh, is a lot better than Han Solo, I think, at least in my opinion. What That's do you right, say? Ryan. It, it does certainly exist. It certainly does exist. Even more so than Solo. Uh, we yeah. know it exists in this universe. <laughs> I'm not sure no. if it exists in Earth 288 or 364. No. Um, um, but um, it, it does exist. So, yeah, this is definitely the better movie than Solo. It's weird to say that's an improvement on Solo since it came out first. The correct way to say it would be that the one's a devolvement. um. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Uh. um, Yeah, this I I definitely like this movie. I don't like it as much as a lot of the other, like, uh, fans do, but I certainly really like it. It's grown on me uh, in the time it's come out. And the reason why we're doing this movie after solo is because chronologically speaking it just follows the order it leads up right into at the end of this movie leads up right into a new hope mm-hmm. so uh and some a fan favorite character shows up at the end actually i guess maybe two but at least and one, one of them, them looks really really weird yeah one of them does <laughs> um we'll talk about that later i'm sure um so yeah um Let's, uh, if we were to do just do a quick, you know, one minute summary, you know, bang pop summary of this movie, what would we say basically what happens in this movie? Um, some mercenaries try to take down a really good legitimate government and they, uh, they unfortunately, uh, uh, start it right up by getting the plans towards their good super weapon. (laughs) Yes. The planet destroyer, right? Yes. So, um... And this movie introduces a lot of new characters, I guess. Um, like, for example, there's this uh, battle droid. Um, uh, I forget his name. K2SO. Yes, very good. Uh, we also have um, uh, the uh, the uh, Star Wars version of uh, Daredevil, I'd like to say, who's Asian, um, played by Donnie Yen. Uh, Shirt Emily. Yes. So, um, and uh, I could have sworn by one of the one of the characters in this movie, he looked like an older version of Morgan Freeman. But I know Morgan Freeman's not in this movie. But his name, his character is like Saw or something. Saw Guerrero. Yeah. So when I first saw him, hey, is that Morgan Freeman? I was like, no, it does not sound like Morgan Freeman. But he had that vibe to it for me. Which was, uh, that was a cool character to see in the movie in a live action like thing because he was a Clone Wars character first. So, oh, wow. It, it, it kind of started a trend there. Do you remember what season of Clone Wars he showed up in? Five, I believe. Five. Okay. Wow. There you go. So, Andrew's our expert on everything Star Wars. Um, so, that was some quick thinking there. So, good job. Pass the test. Everybody gets A's. Everybody can go home happy. So, okay, that's the end of the podcast. I'm just joking. Okay. Um, 
you know, be my random ramblings. Okay, so anyway, so uh, you gave the summary of the movie. Um, one of the first things I want to talk about was how the movie starts out. I was just really um, enthralled with this movie. This movie captured my attention. I was thinking, you know, I like Rogue One. Uh, just, I think I could say I like Rogue One better than episodes one and two and solo and probably seven and eight and nine. I mean, it's just how it starts out. Uh, yeah. Um, one of the big things for me, even just like in the opening too, that I don't think this movie gets enough credit for from the more critic side is how really good this movie looks like just as far as like direction, like the art and everything that it's very stylized looking. Yeah. Uh, uh, a lot of good cinematography too. That's uh, that opening shot on the uh, the planet with the that has the farm on it with those like just right. looks like the salt fields with the uh, the really uh, juxtaposing green grasses and wherever, and you can see like the ring around the planet too from the outside. Right. You mean you mean the planet? I thought the planet was planet was Saturn. That wasn't Saturn. No. Oh, okay. Dang it! <laughs> I must have failed geometry. I mean astronomy. Uh, <laughs> Um, so, but, um, uh, there was this quote that I, I, not to focus on the quotes too much, but there was this quote where the bad guy, I'm bad with names. What was his Krennic. name? Krennic says that he wants to bring like, uh, justice to the earth or something. To Saturn. To Saturn. <laughs> and, uh. We're going to go to a completely different galaxy. Yeah. yeah. And, and then. Basically, the, the good guy um, was saying that, you know, oh, don't, you know, you're confusing. Um, what does he say? I'm sorry. the I'm bad with remembering quotes on the fly. Who are you, who um, are you so, thinking of? Okay. So the good guy is the, the, the father of Finn. Galen. Galen was saying. Jen. Yeah, Jen. <laughs> oh, man. See how bad I am with this. Okay. Finn's uh, several years away. Yeah. Finn. <laughs> yeah. And, uh different nationality um and but says like don't confuse you know like giving with peace with just with uh, tyranny or something like that and uh the chronic guy says well you gotta start somewhere or, um, so yeah this movie definitely goes in a more dark and serious direction as far as like it, it, it definitely pr it's probably the, bre the the best prequel movie like i, I honestly yeah. can Consider it a fourth prequel. Would you consider it better than episode three? That's a hard question. Yeah. I think it's made better, but okay. there's just something about Revenge of the Sith for me. Mm -hmm. Like, like again, don't get me wrong. Objectively speaking, Rogue One probably is the better movie. Okay. Yeah. It's, wow. I don't know. Just for me. I, I think, though, too, Revenge of the Sith has higher highs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, so, um, um, what was uh, something else that you liked? Um, or how, how did you like it? How, um, okay, so like the girl, that she's a little girl and she escapes and she goes into that hatch. Oh, I, oh, a little Easter egg. Like the, these, these, 
I don't know, bad guy troopers. They're like mechanical and being. What were those? The death troopers. Is that what they were called? Okay. Yes. Um, and th- this is like, is this the only movie that we see those death troopers in? Okay. Yes. Um, they we... were in the Mandalorian though too. Oh really? Okay. Do we know who created them? Were they just another creation of Darth Vader or, or Darth Vader didn't probably didn't create them, um, but you know, um, who knows? I don't think they were necessarily created. It's just a new type of troop. I, I think okay. uh, in this canon, I'm pretty sure they're still human under the, uh, oh, okay. the costume. Okay. But I mean, yeah, it's definitely like a, an Empire era, like sort of uh, prototype thing as Death Troopers. And it seemed like when the girl was um, was trying to find a place to hide, I think the Death Troopers find like a Stormtrooper, like plush doll or something. Do you like, remember seeing that? Yeah, it was kind of a weird but neat detail, just as far as like having something like a Stormtrooper as an action figure within the world of Star Wars. Yeah. It's something we've never seen before, but I can totally believe that it would exist. I mean, think about how we have now that we have uh, our um, marine action figures that you can go and get oh. your GI Joes and whatever right. sort of thing. It's like it's kind of the same thing for Star Wars that they'd have stor- uh, stormtrooper action figures. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was pretty neat. Um, and okay, so the next thing that I kind of remember is that there's this pilot that decides to go rogue or turn himself in, or am I missing another important part? Yes, but one thing, though, too, okay. this is one of the things, though, too, that I that really put me off this movie back when I first watched it, and though if the edges have rounded a bit, I still kind of have a problem with it narratively, is there is a huge time jump from, from then oh. to the, uh, the, the pilot. That's where true. She's a ch- uh, the main character Jen is a a child at the start of the movie. Yeah, and as uh, Ryan was talking about, the Empire finds her and her family there. They they gun down the mother and take Galen the father. Right. While Jen get, uh, gets away and hides, while uh, Forrest Whitaker Sagrera takes her, and then there's this time jump where she's an adult now. That's that's one thing too is. There are several scenes, especially when she meets Saw Gerrera again later in the movie, that depends on our emotional investment and her as a character, as well as her history with those other characters that we just don't see in this movie. So honestly, it's really hard to care. Mm, yeah. And again, that's probably one of my biggest problems with this movie. Is that time jump? Yeah. Like an explanation, like what happened or what's going on during that time jump? Or? Well, in a uh, a book came out at the same time as this movie. It was a tie-in book called uh, Rebel Rising. Okay. That was all about that, was her oh, yeah. as an adolescent and teenager running with Saw Gerrera. And I'm just like, yeah, they, they totally gutted this from the movie d- just so they could sell a book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's commercialism for you. <laughs> Um, yeah, shoot. I, I totally forgot that Forrest Whitaker was in this movie. I was like, who is that black guy? Because it's Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, the, the pilot we were talking about, though. The pilots? The pilot's not Forrest Whitaker. No, it's oh, okay. the, uh, the, uh, okay, good. Good, yeah. <laughs> sure, right. Yeah, so back to the pilot. So, basically, he decides, he finds out this information about, so wait, does he like defect and he wants to go talk to Saw Guerrera? Yes. 
So, um, so he happened to find out about the Death Star, mm-hmm. and he wants to defect with the information using it as a bargaining chip. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, he chose Sagrera, though. Um, uh, because well, Sagrera doesn't trust him, right? In, no. He has son. Sagrera has this like. It like is it like an octopus creature or tentacle creature or something? Yeah, Borgullet. Yeah. I hate that thing. (laughs) It's so so stupid. Was that ever in any kind of movies or TV series? They they, they made that crap up. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm not even necessarily going to go into a a lore argument or anything. Like who cares about that? Borgullet will will take his tentacles and he will steal the secrets from your your mind and make sure you're not lying. It's like okay, even beyond like. Instead Even of having if it somehow a... does break lore, I don't know anything about that. But also, too, I'm just like I've always advocated that you can do whatever you want, well, as long as it doesn't like totally conflict. Well, I guess they didn't have lie detector tests back then. Was it? Was this their lie detector test <laughs> using but, this animal so, creature? But yeah, that's not my problem with it. Uh, okay. I just, I just hate how it's used as the lie detector test. It just feels mm-hmm. like a lazy way to keep the plot mm-hmm. going. That. You could have just had uh, Sagara just be paranoid and just decide to distrust him, but he just goes, uh, Borgullet can read your mind. Yeah. yeah. Or with the weird wheezy voice he does the entire movie. Yeah. I should have just had uh, the Donnie Yen character just show up and, like, sense whether or not he was telling the truth or not because he has this ability of sorts. I definitely want to talk about that character before we end, but we will. Um, but... Um, and then, and then I think the pilot, I don't know, does Saul even believe what Borgellet tells him? Or does, I mean, what was the point? I mean, he does, this, but I don't know. The whole it, it, just, it just seems like eventually they end up imprisoning the pilot anyways, and the pilot does get freed eventually. I, I just hate how that part just kind of feels like them just dragging out one thing just so that he could still be alive for when Jin and the rest of them come. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, I I, I shouldn't say I hate it, but just I, I don't know, it just kind of felt a little lazy. Yeah. Um. Although I do, now Saw Gerrera is kind of a lead into one thing that I do really love about this movie, at least conceptually. Okay. That um, they kind of make the rebellion bad guys in this movie. They kind of do. Uh, which was that's a really ballsy move, and I respect them for that. Yeah. They don't okay, I shouldn't say they make them bad guys, but they don't. They're not quite. They're not antiheroes. Yeah, they're. They definitely do some really scummy, shady crap in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Like not long after the pilot uh, scene, too, that they show uh, one of their spy. Their spice. Spice. box spice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> One of their spies, uh, Cassian Andor. I just did it again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That they um, want him to... Germany is a country that exists. Oops, sorry. Germany does exist, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) They talk about one robot over there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Nightcrawler's from Germany, so there we go. X-Men. Okay. So they send him to talk to their um, informant about the Death Star. Another character that knows about Death Star stuff. Uh, They don't totally believe him. They just kind of just want to hear it anyway. Hmm. But what they have the spy do, um, I actually said it right this time. Uh, Very good. <laughs> after getting the information from him, Cassian actually totally kills him. Uh, yeah. Which definitely isn't something you would have seen in the original trilogy. Yeah. No, wait. You're right. Because 
yeah, there was just spices like he he had his he said my arms hurt you know I have no way for me to climb over this wall to escape the stormtroopers and then the one guy just shoots him and kills him and like oh don't worry like, don't worry then he kills him in the original yeah exactly in the original trilogy yeah. they were more archetypal good guys they're right they're the uh, the allies versus the axes yeah well this one it's like uh, it's definitely a lot of gray yeah yeah I was like wow that was ballsy I was like, I was like yeah they, we're supposed to root for this guy he just killed uh, like, that guy. Yeah, like I mean, I get why you did it, the cop loose end, but right. still, it just definitely kinda doesn't seem like something that I'm used to. <laughs> right? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. But uh, the other thing, though, too, is later in the movie where um, one of the higher ups in the council gives Cassian more really shady orders concerning Galen. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of tells him not to trust Jen and whatever. Sure. Kind right. of creating more. Yeah. Distrust. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean that's definitely a different aspect of you know the quote unquote good guys that we don't really have really not seen that much in a well, Star does, Wars movie. Well, even like just in general for Star Wars to have uh, rebels not be very good either is just interesting in and of itself. But it also really uh, works well for this movie specifically concerning that. Uh, Gareth Edwards, who directed this movie, said that he was why he was really interested in this project was because he wanted to make a war movie in Star Wars. Because mm. think about it, Star, uh, it's called Star Wars, but we don't really have a war movie in there. That's true. It's it's almost like guerrilla warfare or just some kind of it's yeah. a different kind of warfare. So, so this having having them be bad in this movie really makes sense because of that war movie sort of undertone. Yeah. That, that like, that is totally what happens in war. There's no, right. nobody's really good in war. Everybody yeah. does some stuff that they're not proud Shady of. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, trying to find the uh, the gray area. The what what find that line between morally permissible and not. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, sure. I I, I like the reason that they killed the informant, but I don't like that yeah. they killed the informant. Right. Right. Should just take some duct tape to his mouth. Yeah. And just knocked him out unconscious and said, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but uh, let's see. What's another scene that we can talk about that came later after that? Um, I, okay. So one thing I did want to talk about. So like all of a sudden, maybe I'm missing something, but like somehow the rebels know where uh, the little girl, what is her name? Is Flynn? Jen, Jen. Jen is like grown up now, and she's in some kind of like armored truck or something. And they the planet know... that she was on in that truck is called Wobani. Okay, Wobani. That okay. is the the whole entire planet is pretty much a prison. Okay. Uh, they the subtitle said like the Imperial uh, Prison Complex, Super okay. Complex, something like that. Um, how they tracked her down? Eh, whatever. Who knows? Uh, you don't really. We don't really need to know. I guess it's not necessary for the plot. And and I got I mean it also makes sense to me too that they could have made an educated guess that they're there. I mean, yeah, the movie hasn't strictly told us that they uh, they didn't send people to other places too to look. Oh okay, yeah. I mean, I wonder how long were they looking before they found her? And definitely, she just wants to escape. She she it's kind of funny. Once they get her loose, she's like attacking the other people that are trying to get her out, yeah. and then she's kind of a neat uh, protagonist uh, as far as just like. 
her apathy towards the situation too that like i mean yeah. how many times in the movie says that she says too that she's just like i i really don't give a crap about your rebellion <laughs> that's all. right you know why 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 should this concern there, me there's a neat quote from her too or exchange where somebody's like i think it was mon mothma talking about uh what do you do when the imperial flags start flying overhead and she says you just look down yeah yeah true which is kind of cool for her i mean Sure, the obvious thing that somebody's going to say is, uh, we've already seen it too with Han Solo, but it, yeah. it definitely hits different when it's the main character. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, raining here, hopefully uh, the interference won't bother our recording. Um, okay. Uh, now let's talk about a couple characters that we really, really like in this movie. Uh, Andrew, there's someone you want to talk about. So uh, the main villain, Krennic, I, I love him, and I know a lot. He's pretty well loved by the fan base too. Uh, it, it's kind of neat having someone who is at the same time so timid in some scenes, like specifically the um, the one scene where he goes to Mustafar to meet Vader, yeah. and you just see him. He, he is literally going to Vader to beg back control of the Death Star plans from Tarkin. Right, right. Which, uh, oh yeah, so for context, Tarkin shows up in this movie, too, from A New Hope. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, because the uh, one of the earlier scenes where um, they tested out the the Death Star on Jeddah, and the planet where Saw Gerrera is, uh, Tarkin was very impressed with the, uh, the power of it. So he, he of course, does the nicest thing possible and t- tells uh, um, Krennic, hey, I, I really like this thing that you've been working on and are going to show off to the Emperor. So, hey, it's mine now, and you're, gonna, you're not going to get any credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Krennic obviously gets really pissed off with it and goes uh, tattles on him to Vader, which mm. well, that's what I was talking about with like, the whole sort of just like meek thing, which kind of makes you laugh at the same time. In other yeah. scenes, he can definitely come off as very, you know, like definitely very competent villain that like he yeah. knows what he's doing too. Yeah. That, it doesn't seem like the plot is just walking all over him. Yeah. Um, and, and about that Tarkin guy, um, I was trying to look up some trivia to this movie uh, while I was ice skating today. Um, but, uh, did the character that was from uh, A New Hope, did he, was, is he still alive now or did? No, God. Okay, so he's uh, dead. So did so they do some like crazy? He died in 1994. Oh, wow. So okay. his brother, uh, I don't know who his brother's name is, Peter Cushing's the actor. Okay. His brother did the mocap for Peter Cushing, and oh. then they just used CGI to okay. make him Peter Cushing. Oh, wow. Okay. Which. He's definitely really weird looking, and <laughs> in the movie, like, I mean, yeah, it's definitely one of those uncanny valley things that, is, that a lot of people talk about with this movie, as far as just like. So <laughs> I don't want to go too far off track, but for people who don't know what uncanny valley is, it usually refers to that sort of motion capture thing. That basically, the more realistic looking uh, the technology is, or that sort of thing, the more. The uh, the stuff that is off catches our eye. Oh, okay, okay. Which is basically that is what it is with Peter Cushing is that mm. because of how realistic and on point it looks. Yeah. Stuff like how basically 
His cheekbones don't move properly like a human being would when they talk. Uh, it, it, it definitely pops out to you and looks really strange. Yeah, yeah. So that was definitely one of those instances. Um, um, but generally, yeah, I love uh, Tarkin, this movie. Uh, I don't know if it was his brother himself, but whoever does like the voice for uh, for Peter Cushing in there, too. Yeah. Uh, he did. He sounds like Peter Cushing. They did like the uh, that really. Uh, I don't know what you would call that accent, whether it's posh or whatever. But as far as like how he rolls his R's, like oh, okay. whatever. Yeah. Like he, just the whole British thing too. He did really well. Yeah. But um, yeah, those two villains are really cool, Tarkin and Krennic. But and going back to Krennic too, as far as like just he he knows what he's doing too with like. Um, when they attack Scarif at the end of the movie, too, that mm. he, he totally takes charge. Uh, yeah. The one shot that makes everybody laugh, too, where everybody in the uh, command center is just sitting there staring out the window watching their ships all blow up. <laughs> and then just, just gawking at it. And then you, you see Crack just goes, uh, are, are you blind? Send out the garrison. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, you know, he's like, what are we doing here? Roger, Roger. <laughs> Oh, uh, are there any droids in this movie? Yeah, could you answer? Oh, okay. <laughs> like any, but like from like oh, episode. No, no. no. Okay. So there definitely are still ones that exist, even as far as like into the uh, Force Awakens era. But generally speaking, no, they're wiped out at the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, um, okay. Palpatine ordered them decommissioned. Okay. Okay. So all the droid foundries that actually made the droids were shut down. And oh, okay. Too. Okay. So th this is this just shows the audience that I, I I tend not to remember everything. Well, and again too, that's uh, that this is definitely why I like Rogue One uh, for sure, and also really think of it as another prequel movie, just because of how much um, a plot threads it carries over from the Vengeance of the Sith. Like it's not, yeah, it's not just the in between as far as when it takes place. But also what themes and how it looks and covers too. That it is the perfect in between. Uh, that it still carries over the the more wartime political uh, themes from Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones, but mixes it with the the look and tone of uh, the original trilogy. Right. And uh, I have another stupid question. Um, does Darth Maul make an appearance in this movie? <laughs> no. no. Okay. Even though he was an appearance in uh, Solo, um, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. You're... Oh, I, actually, wait, wait. I think I remember. Now, I think I remember you told me that Darth Maul is dead. There was a fight. Yeah. Now I remember. I think you talked about this in our last recording, though. Uh, so, since I'm kind of... Um... Kind of doing a bit of a compliment sandwich style with this sword, uh, with talking about the movie too. Let's go back to talking about something I kind of don't hundred percent care for too, with the theme of characters. Is basically, I think this movie does kind of have a character problem. This is one of the more pointed at criticisms that basically, um, besides Krennic, um, Donnie Yen, uh, cheer them okay. life, and um. Woohoo! That might be it. <laughs> um, <laughs> everybody's not written totally peak. Uh, yeah. Jin, who he uh, is kind of a third character that I almost said uh, 
even she thought I was talking about that a chunk of her character is missing. Um, yeah. From her childhood. She feels right. very incomplete. Um, right. But then a lot of the other ones, too. K2SO is really funny. Yeah. I, I, I like I like his humor and whatever, but and yeah. I, I, I kind of think it's cool how he comes to accept the group dynamic uh, yeah. before he dies on uh, Kira, he, but He's always, like, you know, counting probability. Whether or not probability she will shoot you with her laser if you give her the laser, but, you know? And, yeah, his whole character yeah. is kind of a quirk. Yeah. He doesn't really have a character. Yeah. Uh, um. And then even... Uh, the one other uh, guy that accompanies Cheer at M.Y., uh, Bayes Malva, the one that had like, the weird red shotgun. Oh, right, yeah. Um, he doesn't really exist. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, at the end. As a character, I mean, like, like, let me ask you a question. Okay. As a character, besides he's cool and he has a shotgun, what do you like about Mays? Bayes? Um, you know, he reminds me of actually Bishop, who is another X-Men character, because Bishop has a big toting gun, has the dreadlocks, you know, black guy. I mean, that was like, we got Daredevil and Bishop in this movie, baby. You know, so, but no, I mean, I mean, he, he kind of has a, kind of like a story arc. Once the Donnie N character dies, he kind of, like, I mean, you know, wants to refill that legacy. He, he, he can't dies, really but... exist without Cheer at M.Y. just because yeah. his, his whole character arc runs parallel to Cheer at M.Y. His whole thing is that he's uh, what character he does have is that he's basically just a skeptic of uh, both the Force and also Cheer at M.Y.'s devotion to it. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I am one with the Force. The Force is one with me. I mean, again, it's not really a character. Uh, I mean, like, uh, Chair Emily, mm -hmm. that is a character to me. That basically he has this devotion to the Force. Yeah, he, he's very spiritual. Yeah, uh, and he he tends to be very uh, accepting of others. Or that's a character to me. Yeah, a lot of the other ones you can't really say that for. Right. Um, who's the name of that one lady that is so called like sort of in charge of all the rebels? Do you know what man? I wish I knew Mom her name. Huffman. Yeah, and she at first. And she said, "Okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to let's let's have a vote or something? Are we going to go and try to steal the Death Star plans or not steal?" Another one that I, I so, should really say, like I actually seriously see as a problem with the movie, like I do with say you know the characters and whatever. But the another one that everybody just I, I remember everybody kind of like uh, groaning just a little bit in the theaters for it was that like they did this vote towards the end of the movie of whether they should actually trust that the Death Star plans are on this Imperial planet or if it's a trap. Yeah. They decide, hey, this is, we think this is a trap. We're not going to go. Right. So there's kind of a really cool scene there too where Jin and the uh, the other main characters of the movie said, yeah, this is a load of crap. Yeah. We're rebelling against the rebellion and we're going right. to go without their support. And I was like, that's kind of cool. It is. Uh, but then they kind of go back on their decision for no real good reason and end up sending all a bunch of reinforcements there. Right? Yeah. Just because they all of a sudden, the main rebellion all of a sudden realizes that they're there. So I guess the reason just go, uh, get along. Ah, yeah, get along, get along, I guess. What they just go, uh, boys will be boys. Yeah, yeah. Going, starting a war. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I did want to mention was that uh, interesting plot point, if I can remember it correctly. So, um, the Donnie Yen character mentions that there are these particular 
crystals that power the lightsabers that there's these like shrines where the crystals are kept um do you remember the name of those crystals they're called kyber crystals kyber crystals right now was that so, something that was mentioned in the books because that a, is a big clone wars thing for one but also okay. it's mentioned in fandom of another thing that i can't remember if uh donnie had specifically called themselves wills or if he said that the building they were next to was called the temple of the wills but okay. either way, that word wills is actually a uh, beyond just being a general Easter egg, it's a really cool like mention towards the or the origins of Star Wars. Okay. The original thing that George Lucas wrote back in nineteen in the seventies, mm -hmm. he wrote a thing called the Journal of the Wills. Okay. Wow. That was used to make Star Wars. The, oh wow. That was the original title script. Wow. So, um, and, and George has actually tried to describe what the Wills are before that they're more like an. Uh, if you guys have seen uh, Marvel's What If, or no, uh -huh. The Watcher, they're pretty right. much like the Watchers of Star Wars. The Wills are like the Watchers? That's that's my understanding of it. Okay. Which, uh, and, um, oh, you get situated. <laughs> the chair, don't fall down. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, I think we might have seen them once <clears throat> in the Clone Wars, but even then, a lot of us fans, that is, the wills are generally something that's really unknown. Okay. Uh, what information, though, does intrigue the, us and George Lucas's uh, original treatment for a sequel trilogy, a seven, eight, nine, oh. heavily surrounded the wills and the force. Oh, okay. So, looping this back around to how it relates to Rogue One, yeah, it's cool to see something relating to the wills actually in the movie. Yeah. Even if it's not the wills themselves. Definitely. And is there a scene where the a bunch of crystals get stolen? Yes. Okay. So that, that's your original question with the yeah. crystals. Yeah. So beyond just so they want that as the power source mm. for the Death Star lasers. Oh wow. And wow. Um, the other thing too is that how lightsabers work is there is a kyber crystal in every lightsaber that gives it its color and okay. allows it to actually be used as a weapon. Okay. So it's, it's kind of cool how it tied back to the Clone Wars again. And the whole thing, too, is that the Kyber Crystals are intrinsically connected to the Force. Okay. The Kyber Crystals are actually considered to be living beings. Oh, wow. That's, um, so we're going to go into another stupid lore territory. We'll <laughs> skip about 10 minutes. And if you no, I love it. I love it. So the what, according to the new canon, the way that uh, the bad characters, like Darth Maul, are how they get their lightsaber they actually start off as a normal red green this uh, uh, a blue. green blue whatever purple yeah. they literally bleed the kyber crystals to give them the crimson color oh wow so which they... uh because which uh calls it like cry out it through the force or whatever when, oh. when they're when they're damaging this uh crystal because oh, wow. of the anyway wow. um that's cool so it's, it's kind of cool seeing this whole connection of the kyber crystals to the wills of the movie yeah definitely and and um little things that non-fans will definitely not notice but even more even if you're even a lot of like bigger star wars fans probably don't know a lot of the stuff too which is yeah if it's cool if, if they are interested in the stuff and want to look it up right yeah definitely um are is it possible for okay this is a random question but is it possible for like a midi chlorian to like turn into a will or help a will or do they have any relation to the wills at all? So 
whether or not you like midichlorians, I, I, a lot of the creators that aren't George definitely kind of lean towards not liking the midichlorians and how it exists in Star Wars. So there have been a couple of times where it's brought up, but generally speaking, even though they haven't like decanonized midichlorians, they kind of steer clear of them as much as we can. So okay. we don't really know much about midichlorians in relation to the Force or anything anymore outside of how they were used in the Phantom Menace. Oh, wow. So pretty much it's like they're they're not really considered canon. I, like we got, we got the wheels instead. It's one of those things where they know that they can't be canonized, not just because George Lucas made it, okay. but also just because they don't want to potentially piss people off. Okay. Uh, even though I think a lot of us would be fine with it. But, right. So I kind of don't really want them to do it either. Okay. I, I hate re retroactively changing stuff. Yeah. Um, Keep, yeah. Just accept your mistake and learn from it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, though, if they decide to bring Metacoins back in more more mainstream ways about talking to them again, well, maybe we'll, we will learn and see if they connect to the wills more directly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just because they are the force, they obviously do connect to the worlds in some way. But as far as like giving direct commentary about it, no, yeah. I don't think there's anything that exists. Okay, so a question I have for you: It's about the Donnie N character, but like, so when he, when he's like attacking a bunch of enemies when we first see him and like kicking, kicking ass. I mean, he has this like, he has like this long rod. Is it? Do we know what kind of rod it is, or? I'm not um, sure what the weapon is called because uh, it's like a long bow staff, or but he's just like he like I mean, he and, and he's blind, a, but he's he, not really blind. I he mean, uses it as a walking stiff, walk, stiff, <laughs> stiff guy, <laughs> walking he's staff stick. and a uh, cane thing. But also, um, <clears throat> he, it's a gun too. There's oh wow that uh, that you can tell that basically. He actually aims the uh, the end of it and takes down a tie fighter. Script. You oh. see like two little prongs on that shoot out on the end oh, to wow. make it look like a crossbow. Oh man! So this is like a, a, a jack of all trades weapon. It's like a, yeah. it's like a Swiss Army knife. Oh, the thing um, is that he actually is blind. Yeah, he has to depend on the force to, to tell him. Yes. Wow. Which so, is probably why he keeps on repeating, repeating, "I am one with the force, and the force yes. is one with me," because he's so devoted um whereas daredevil gets his abilities i don't know if you can like see like uh well he had this tragic accident that made him blind but he can like see infrared like sensing or something like that do you know much about daredevil yeah uh, I watched how, the Netflix show. okay yeah yeah i mean so uh, matt murdoch yeah excellent show can't recommend it more um how so would, how would you talk about daredevil how, last time? yeah that's right so <laughs> Uh, how how would you compare the abilities of the Donnie N character and the and the Daredevil character as far as like their fighting abilities, both considered quote unquote blind? Well, um, how would you compare or contrast? Daredevil, I I think they're more alike as far as just generally their spirituality and as far as just like they're just like how they go about living life more than that. They're actually seriously com comparable as when it comes to skills and abilities and whatever. Okay. Because Daredevil's more like an athletic type, while you don't really see uh, uh, cheer it, like, going around, like, doing a bunch of backflips. Yeah. But as far as being able to accurately, in a sense, 
see where the enemy is. Yeah, um, I don't know. The the, uh, the resemblance is uncanny in a couple instances. But um, um, I really wish they could. I really wish Donnie Yen would have died. She's like, man, this would be so cool if they could explore this. But I guess. I guess a lot of people end up dying in this movie because we maybe they had to kill people off because, you know, they're not in 4, 5, and 6, so... So, before I forget again to um, using him as a segue into that next thing, is basically the whole spirituality and faith thing about with the Force as well as the presence of the Jedi. <clears throat> one of the... Uh, so, uh, one of the things that people interpret as a plot hole from the original trilogy to the prequels is how people uh, speak about the Jedi versus how they're presented in the prequels. That basically They seem way more abundant in the prequels while a lot of people in the original trilogy, which is only 20 years later, seem to have, have almost like no recollection of their existence and talk about them like they're an, an urban legend. Which... Right. I know for a lot of people they seem that see that as really weird just because they were all over the place in the uh, prequels, right? Swinging the lightsabers around, whatever. Yeah. Which um, I kind of like the even though it doesn't fix it to quite the absurd degree that it might be seen from the original trilogy, it, it does try to build uh, the bridge at least a bit as far as just making it more believable that people would forget about the Jedi. Right. As far as like the, there's this one really beautiful shot where you see the um, when they come to Jeddah, you see the uh, the ship in a shadow soar over the dune of sand, and you see this collapsed Jedi statue in the sand oh. that you could have only seen it from that bird's eye view, yeah, because it was collapsed, which is a really good uh, good symbolism for where the world is now. The, the Jedi are gone; they're forgotten, right? Left in the sands, yeah. A um, nice little uh, picturesque portrait there. Yes. That and also just because of how the force is being pushed away and everything too. That Yeah. And with the Imperials everywhere. Rogue One actually makes it definitely way more believable that, again, people forgot about the Jedi. Right. It's a nice... They did everything yeah. they could to drive that away from the people's minds. Oh, right. Definitely. I mean, with pretty much... You know, only uh, Darth Vader's kids being the only people that might still be alive with Force powers. That and when you really, when you really think back on the prequels, they're not actually as like in your face as some people might lead you to believe. A lot of what you see in the prequels is in the Jedi Temple, which not everybody's allowed into, obviously. And the only other place that you would see them more presently is on the battlefields and the Clone Wars. Right. Which is, again, nobody's just going to go waltzing into that. Yeah. So that combined with the image we see in Rogue One actually does really help to create, one more time, the portrait that that uh, basically these people really well and truly do believe that the Jedi never really existed. Right. Are you almost wondering if they were brainwashed into believing that they didn't exist or... They weren't essential, or, or like, oh, the age of Jedi is long ago because only only people alive. What are like what Obi Wan, um, Ahsoka, well, and, and Yoda? Well, and we've seen too that uh, 
they're uh, prominently shown in the Rebel series was called the ISB, mm. which is um, going forward with the uh, the World War Two Nazi Germany metaphor for the Empire. That if uh, that the stormtroopers and the front line were uh, sort of infantry are the uh, Wehrmacht, the, the more uh, Nazi soldiers. Mm-hmm. That uh, the ISB is more like the Gestapo. Ah. That they more do like the civilian work. Okay. They're they do a lot of the um, the propaganda. They make sure the propaganda is flowing properly. Yeah. And uh, they're the sort of ones that are going to be kicking doors in if they think that undesirables are in the civilian crowd. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that which, I, if I remember right, you kind of see a bit of that in the uh, in Rogue One too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. Um, but, uh, uh, any other characters? I mean, I do want to talk about the ending. I mean, everybody wants to talk about the everybody ending. Everybody wants to talk? Yeah. Like, or like the last 10 minutes or something. So, um, the last 30 minutes of the movie are easily the best. Because, yeah. so, just one more little thing before we go into this is that, basically, the first two-thirds of the movie, the first two acts, really highly depend on your investment in these characters that just isn't there. Right. So they're getting knocked off one by one. <laughs> that is why I don't like the first two thirds of the movie is just because they don't really flesh it out well enough. And yeah. it's not really what I came to see. <laughs> um, yeah. which yeah. and I just totally remembered something I've been wanting to talk about the whole time. Okay. So this is yeah. gonna be about another ten minutes. That's fine. Let's talk about that. So, this movie and its story is often compared to a weird game that nobody's ever heard of called Halo Reach. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say Othello. <laughs> um, so, Halo Reach, I'm not going to do the Star Wars treatment for this one where I spend ten years explaining the lore of it and everything. <laughs> Just nine years. We so, could do nine. So, Halo Reach, its story synopsis goes something like, a losing war on a planet that, where the main characters are doomed to die, or at least failure in a, in a certain sense. Yeah, suicide mission. Yeah, suicide mission on on Reach. Yeah, that's being attacked by an a, the alien force in in mass. Yeah. Um, but towards the end of the game, the mission becomes to get the char- the main character of the uh, the rest of the series, the Master Chief, off right. world. Yeah. With uh, the AI to help him so that they, those two together yeah. can take down the alien force and save the humans. Right. Which, yeah, those last two missions, they successfully do it. Right. And, and the objective is to hold it down uh, to buy them time to escape. Escape, right. Which definitely sounds like Rogue One. Yeah. Which, right. with Rogue One being about, you know, sacrifice for the greater good, that they held out so that the plans could get off world. Right. Right. Um, which, so that's, that's pretty neat that there's a video game that we can relate to this movie. That, that was a pretty nice. I liked how you did that, Andrew. Very good. So, so for one, I I definitely find Halo Reach to be the better story. Um, yeah, takes longer to play too than watching this movie. <laughs> but also, I just kind of I, I think it did a better balance of the characters versus the, the lore and the story. Mm, yeah, where so basically. The defense for the lack of characterization is 
and Rogue One is basically it's two parts that basically why would they characterize them because they know that they're gonna die anyway? Which I see that as the problem. If they're gonna if they're gonna die anyway, whatever, you know, why why bother? Yeah. Uh, I'm just like, so why don't you give why don't you make me care? Yeah. I mean you wanna have something to remember them by yes. besides this sacrifice they're making, you know? Yes. Because you want people to tell about their sacrifice for years and generations to come. I, I don't think that the fact that they're dying is the excuse. I think it's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the other part of it, though, too, is that... Um, I can't remember what I was just going to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wonder Woman! X-Men! X-Men! Deutschland! But anyway, uh, for me, though, Halo Reach actually does it better just because... I feel like uh, they actually do give the, themselves enough care. And, yeah. And even then, though, too, it works better because there isn't really any bigger story beyond the sacrifice itself that demands your investment in the characters. Yeah. That's why the whole they're going to die anyway ex- excuse works for Reach. Right. Since the first two-thirds about Rogue One are about Jen's uh, connection or lack thereof with both her father Galen mm-hmm. and uh, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, since oh, they didn't build yeah. that up properly, I don't care and I don't like it. Yeah, that didn't exist in Reach. It was just the sacrifice. Sure, I was right. like, yeah. If only Bungie made Star Wars. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I mean, I don't hate the characters. I still like them well enough. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, let's talk about the uh, the end game of the movie, the, the last last part. Oh, so, you're talking to me. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so the last chunk of the movie, once you, you get through your whole basic speech, saying about how we're uh, we're the victors, whatever sort of thing, they decide to go off the scarif like this stuff. Where, which is probably one of my favorite planets from any Star Wars movie. Just the beach setting is really cool. That's true. So, uh, one of the things, too, that this movie uh, definitely gets a little flack for as far uh, as its final release was, this movie is infamous for having a lot of stuff in the trailer that wasn't in the final movie. Oh, really? Wow. So, there was one part that was... That everybody distinctly remembers from the trailer that, uh, that was shown off as a scare scene that was axed was uh, there's one part where they're on the beaches all fighting together, Jen leading them, where they, they're charging across the sand towards an ATAT like from Hoth. Oh, wow. And everybody's like, oh crap, how's this gonna happen? <laughs> um, but that was axed, that wasn't in the movie at all. They, they showed ATATs on there, uh, but oh, wow. there wasn't like a charge towards one. Oh yeah, yeah. Example. Oh wait, so so are those the ones that were in Empire Strikes Back? The, the walking camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a different model of them for Scarif, which is why they go down easier in the movie. Okay. Uh, the, the lore talk. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and there's just so many of them too. Like another one where she was supposed to face down a Tie Fighter when she's out of the top of the watchtower, like, towards the end of the third act. Mm. Yeah. A lot of stuff is cut. Uh, one of the other things, too, was that uh, this wasn't in the trailer at all, but it was the original concept was that 
instead of having a big like major scene that we got in the final movie, he is supposed to lead the stormtroopers on the beaches. Oh wow, that would have been interesting. Uh, uh, a lot of cut stuff or yeah. Jane work. Uh, uh, I still think that, that unlike say Solo or some of like that, which had similar sort of production troubles, this turned out really well. Yeah, um, I still really love this third of the movie. This is definitely the the best part of the movie as far as like where the whole vision of a war film shines mm-hmm. through the best. Right. That it was just like this really gritty, de- down in the muck sort of fighting the empire thing, like right. uh, like like uh, Gareth Edwards one. Yeah. That yeah. Uh, the uh, like the char uh, charred sands and everything is really cool looking. Yeah. Um, and uh, start people start uh, getting picked off, right? Yeah, I like so. this sort of thing too. That like, uh, uh, so this last part of the movie lasts about like like fifty minutes or so. Mm-hmm. That that each one is progressively getting picked off and or sacrificing themselves so right. that the uh, so that the next step of the journey can be completed. Yeah, the greater good. Gets, so, which yeah. I, I like this arc. It's a neat, it's a neat one. Yeah. It, it's not something we haven't seen before, but still good. Right. Um, and that's all I ask. Yeah. Right. Like, the first one I believe to be picked off was K2S. So when yeah. they're trying to get into the watchtower to find the plans, uh, K2 locks the doors behind them, right. and, and then uh, just takes down as many as he can before he gets shot down himself. Right. Right. And similarly, yeah, like yeah, everybody gets shot down. Yeah. With one of the other good ones being where. It's Chirrut Emily's turn that he, uh, while everyone is getting picked off as soon as they try to come out of the bunker by the Death Troopers, Chirrut Emily, all the bullets are flying past him. Right. And he, while he's doing his mantra, I am the force, the force is me. Right. But when he finally pulls the lever he needs to pull, that's when he takes the hits. Right. Yeah. Leading to a, a really neat scene where uh, Bays with the shotgun takes right. over the mantra. Yeah. And then get shot himself. Yeah. These sort of sacrifice scenes really added a lot of character to both the characters themselves, but also to the movie. Right. Um, okay, and what was the name of the... Now, okay, now it's been a while since I watched this movie, but uh, uh, the one girl and the one guy, they're trying to uh, find the Death Star plans. Like, Is it like on a chip or is it an actual... It's like scroll of papers that they get it on, and they're. It's like a weird suitcase thing. I know okay. what you're talking about. Yeah, um, um, and then the the one guy that's helping her, he sacrifices his life to make sure that she gets it right. We think they sacrifice himself, but he comes out at the last moment. Oh, does he? Like, oh, you oh. survived. Oh, okay. Starts to regret. Okay. Um, um, yeah, I was, I was trying to watch this the whole movie before the review today, and I ran out of time, but. Um, I, uh, should we talk about, okay, oh, now. One who, last thing before okay. we get to the thing that you want to talk okay. about with, uh, you know who. Yes. So one thing that I really thought they were going to do that I, I, I really appreciate that they didn't do was the scene where after they fired the Death Star laser down to the planet that, that kills Jin, the last Jin and, uh, Cassian as the last two survivors. And I don't know if you know where they, they're looking at on the sunset and seeing this 
the oh, senior right. comes and, yeah, I towards think, them. I think they hug or kiss or something. Yes, they hug. And yeah. that's the thing that I thought they were going to do. I thought they were going to just totally butcher the tone by having them kiss. Mm, yeah. Beyond, well, beyond two, uh, the tone thing was also just, I, I would have felt it would have been unearned. They didn't seem romantically inclined. Right. It's like, why would they kiss? So I appreciated yeah. that they just hugged instead and just just waited for the... Um, They're doomed. They're yeah, waited demise. For the, wait, waited yeah. to be engulfed by yeah. the, I mean, the dust storm. Yeah. Which, uh, there's a, the other thing I feel like kind of ruins it a little bit is that if you, a lot of people have pointed this out, but there's a they did a horrible job editing the last sh- uh, uh, frame of the shot where basically mm-hmm. you can see uh, while they're hugging like the fr- the light engulfing them that you can see uh, Cassie and Andor I don't remember who uh, Diego Luna the actor oh, and she yeah. distinctly see him look towards the screen with his eyes wide open oh <laughs> <laughs> breaking the fourth wall Deadpool style yeah because he. <laughs> Like they, they forgot to chop off that last bit. It, it was obviously him, like you know, looking towards the director. So yeah. like the, the like, scene's done. Like we're done, right? Yeah, I'm just like <laughs> it looks horrible. Except we're done. I don't want to hug this woman and for any more seconds. And even for the Blu-ray releases and everything, you can still see, see that like weird awkward head <laughs> turn, like big ass, like wide <laughs> eyes open. <laughs> Maybe he sees a midi chlorian. No. Um, but no besides way. that, it's really good. I, I thought it was a really beautiful ending, especially with the uh, the. Um, the music going in the background that sounded like just oh, swelling. Yeah. Which, uh, yet another diversion. Let's talk about this really quick in just a few minutes. Yes. Is, um, so I love John Williams, but I kind of, mm-hmm. his scores for the newer movies haven't taken me as much. They um, seem to be a step under par. Yeah, I shouldn't say under par. I mean, they're still John Williams, but I don't know. They mm-hmm. just didn't click with me as much as, like, the... Even the prequel ones. The prequel, Revenge of the Sith is oh, the best yeah. Ford movie to me. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but Michael awesome. Giacchino did the score. He also did Up. Okay, uh, yeah. He's done a lot of movies that people uh, wrote to perdition. Yeah, yeah uh, it's a good movie. This score, in a vacuum, is really great. But it's also, in my opinion, the best scored movie of all the Disney ones. Like, wow. easily. Wow, yeah. Um, uh, a lot of the score, especially, like... The Disney like Star Wars ones. ones. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so let's get to the thing that you actually want to talk about, where yeah. the reb, the uh, the more unnamed Star rebels Wars, Star Wars. actually intercept the plans in space. Is that yeah. they're getting ready to leave with the printed out uh, disc with the plans on it. Mm-hmm. Although, also, and all the lights go out and they can't get the door open. Yeah. And take it away, Ryan. Okay. Dun 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 dun. dun. Okay, so. Um, Darth Vader shows up. Yay! Uh, Anakin. Uh, so basically, he just... I mean, like I said, it's been a while since I watched it, but basically he's just... He's killing a bunch of rebels, I guess. And he's preventing... Uh, somehow, I guess he he's keeping the door shut so that the one rebel guy can't give it to the one on the other side of the door. But something must happen where... I don't know if Darth Vader let, lets his guard down for a split second and, and uh, pay, the, the Death Star plans does get to the other side of the door. But um, I just thought that seeing Darth Vader just wreak havoc was like just like everybody's dream come true. Just seeing him like, you know, total badass, you know. So, yeah, this is easily the big fan favorite scene of the movie. Everybody loves the scene. If you, even if you don't like the movie, yeah. you like this scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
everything about it works. I, yeah. And I, I know there's the, I know there's like that small crowd of people out there. I've even seen videos about this, about like how uh, I uh, this is actually also uh, simultaneously the worst part of the movie because it undermines yes. because really? it undermines <laughs> Vader's more stilted movement in, in a oh. new hope. Oh. Shut up! Oh gosh. <laughs> But Sky you, you know you were cheering when you watched that movie. That never yeah. like you, you were thinking about it. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh. So, yeah, this is, like, legitimately horrifying in the movie. Too. And yeah. as everybody points out, too, that he actually, for this, for him to get the jump on the Rebels like this, too, that he actually had would have had to have turned off his life support and all the buttons on his chest, too. <laughs> oh yeah. Because yeah, because the uh, the buttons go really white uh white when they're on to make all the noise. <laughs> oh okay, yeah. So this the fact here that he just totally jumped him like that. Yep. Yeah. And, well, and I love too how when he turns the lightsaber on, the whole entire room just glows red. Yeah, yeah. Like it's such a great scene. Uh, someone lighting. described it as. Uh, being in the lion's den, and it, it's the perfect description for the scene. Yeah, like as even before you turned the lightsabers on, and you heard that this that iconic breathing, you knew those rebels were screwed. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you, you can you, one does not simply fight Darth Vader. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and just all the the crap, all the ways that he killed them too. Like the the one that he's like. Flips upside down onto the ceiling like it's the Exorcist or oh, something. I forgot about that. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and while holding them on the ceiling, just like slashes through their stomach. Yeah. Um, yeah. No and, mercy. Well, and then the other one too that everybody uh, is always just like "woo" uh, at is where somebody sh uh, fires at him, but he he actually reflects it back at the the uh, oh. back at them. Yeah. 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 So and it's like this. He's just like slashing, and he's he's like just walking through, just taking his time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then yeah, somebody manages to pry the door open. Yeah. Or no, they don't pry the door open. They they manage to get their hand through the hand to the other side. Right. Yeah. And as soon as he does that, too, you see the the light just like impales through him and the door. Yeah. Yeah. It's like just in time. Which um. Which is really weird too, because like uh, you think that the door is holding him back, but immediately the door just opens. You're just like, "Oh crap! Run, run, run!" Yeah. <laughs> um, but the last trooper, though, too, that uh, not a lot of people know, is the last trooper that actually uh, gets the plans and gets successfully onto the ship. Mm -hmm. The uh, the one that uh, does this like really good, just like horrified, like uh, uh, push, uh, yelling yeah. over to the captain. Yeah. That was Gareth Edwards, the director. Oh wow! wow. Um, That's nice little. For for He's an unnamed there. trooper, that was like a really good moment. Just that, I don't know if you know I'm talking about that scream that he does. Like it just yeah. sounds so genuinely yeah. terrified. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And we see bum bum bum. bum. Princess Leia. Uncanny Valley Leia. <laughs> okay, everybody talks. Everybody beats this to, the, the, this dead horse to death already. So we'll just be brief. Yeah. yeah, Leia looks really weird. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. doesn't look human. Well, it, no, she had passed away, or was she still alive? She had like just passed away. Just passed away. Okay. So did they just take uh, do CGI basically? They did the Tarkin or, method of somebody else mocapping okay. her, and they do okay. CG. 
yeah. Her, her cheeks don't move right at all, and her flush tone is really weird. Yeah. yeah. But beyond the graphic stuff, okay, whatever. It's, it's Leia. You gotta have it. Yeah, gotta have her. Yeah. Then I, I like the experimental nature of this final scene that it, it it leads right into the start of a new hope, like directly into it. Okay, so just um, we can talk more about this uh, when we do our new hope review. But I just wonder, like, like as far as passage of time. Is there like a one or two month period from the end of Rogue One into the start of A New Hope? Or is it boom like a, the next day? So it is possible they could do that. If they wanted to, they they could. But just to me, it makes more sense that it would be uh, directly from Scarif 2 Tatooine. I just kind of feel like it would be a bit of a weird breakage to have them go to like Dagobah or something somewhere else first. Okay. For them to actually have an opportunity to potentially loot, slip the Empire first. Because it just seems like A New Hope, from what I remember, uh, one of the first scenes is Princess Leia being captured, right? Yeah. Well, what's also funny, too, is how some of that uh, that opening scene plays out. Just kind of resonates differently after watching Rogue One. Like, we're at the start of A New Hope where... Uh, Leia literally lies to Vader's face about them not being at Scarif, that they don't have the plans of war, that whoever, yeah. and Vader's going, uh, we know you have the plan. It's just funny how yeah. that now plays different when you're thinking, dude, Vader literally just watched you leave the planet. Why are you right. lying? Right, yeah. <laughs> He's so stupid, yeah. I don't really think it has a plot hole, so yeah. it's, just, it's just funny, just the new information we have. Right, right. <laughs> that, is, that you know how obvious of a lie that it is. And, and, and is this a case where lying is good? I mean, should lying be condoned? <laughs> it, it just, I'm sorry, going through philosophy. I, I know, you don't have to answer that question. Just without necessarily going into A New Hope too early, it, it, it's, yeah. just, it's just hysterical to me that this new information that we have, that just Vader is just like just so pissed about living with this one. He's like, hey, don't start your crap with me about I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw you. I saw your men. Like, come on. Yeah. We're doing this? Just at least be honest about it. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. So, final thoughts. So, um, I talked at the beginning of this review about that I was kind of indifferent to this movie when it came out, that I, I liked what I liked as much as I liked it, like the Scarif and Vader and whatever. I really loved that, but sure. generally I, I was kind of like, it's a good movie, but doesn't fit right. Even the the stuff I don't like, specifically the first two parts of me, it's definitely grown on me more over time that I that, uh, I don't skip it anymore. That I basically I'm like, hey, this is a really cool world building and really cool cinematography. I yeah. I really love the time we spend on Jetta. I right. really like the opening. Whatever. This is cool. Right. And would you consider this movie to be if we consider this movie to be a prequel? Will we consider this movie to be the best of the prequels, or do you still like Revenge of the Sith better? I, like I know Revenge I asked you the before. But, yeah, I like Revenge um, of the Sith better, but this is the objectively best movie. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of on, on board with Andrew here. I mean, I I I think I like this movie better than Episode Three, and I really liked Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith. But I like I think I have to like this movie more. I definitely want to rewatch it. Um, so um, I just again those first two uh, thirds of the movie and their pacing as far as how information is doled out does it specifically with the Saw Gerrera stuff is a pain. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you can sit through it, 
You're rewarded with some good role building. And uh, I normally don't uh, do this, but just wondering if you would rank this movie based on a 10-star system, uh, 10 being the best of all the Star Wars movies, one being the worst, where would you rank it? 7.5. Okay. That's pretty fair. I actually have uh, a list of all my movies ranked uh, somewhere. Okay. I'll yeah. Be that Especially if we finish all the other movies. Sure. Definitely. Alrighty. Uh, well, that'll be it. Uh, thank you so much, Andrew, for being on the show again. Uh, just always, always a pleasure. I always learn a lot from you. I always like to re-listen to these podcasts because I don't remember everything the first time. And it's always great to have you here. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, and that'll do it for the Star Wars Rogue One podcast. Uh, the next one will be, we'll do, um, will be probably coming out next month. And it will be on the one that probably everyone has seen at least once or twice. Uh, New Hope, you know, episode four, the one that came out first. Um, so looking very much for uh, that one. Um, so thanks again for listening to us and everyone have an awesome day. Take care. Bye.